Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This is Jacob Myers here. We've got a great one for this Wednesday for you guys. Another great deer episode. we got Mr. Thad McDonald on the podcast coming in from Arkansas. And we're going to talk about a deer that he killed last year using some tips and tactics from the podcast. Uh, and also, it's kind of how he's building uh, himself into being even a better deer hunter for years into the future. Kind of playing a lot of this stuff out and learning a lot just from these different past guests that we've had on and putting it to use. But Thad, how are you doing? 
Pretty good, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Get us getting excited. You know, I know it's we're in the middle of turkey season right now for a uh, majority of our listeners, but still got me excited for deer season this coming year. And uh, definitely stories like this and uh, and guys like yourself uh, definitely kind of keep that fire lit for all of us just because, you know, it seems like a lot of us have passions for deer hunting. And seems like that's something that's definitely been uh, kind of rekindled with you, especially recently. But that yeah. kind of opened this conversation up for us. Can you give us a little bit of your background? Uh, of course, kind of, you know, I know you're, you know, the listeners now know you're from Arkansas, but what's your background when it came to deer hunting and getting into it, and especially some of those things that's changed recently with you kind of going, going all in on whitetails? My uncle and my cousin taught me how to squirrel hunt down around Hope, Arkansas in the bottoms. And, and uh, we, you cut my teeth on deer hunting down there, no archery, just gun season. And um, I was, pretty lucky when i was a kid i them left and right but now thinking about it there's a lot of deer down in that part of the country and uh i just you know developed a passion for it and um life got in the way you go try to make a living and you don't have time to do it and uh i finally got back into it it was about 10 12 years ago real hard bought me a bow killed a little six point with my bow and and I was hooked. <laughs> I prefer to bow hunt. You know, I just I just prefer to bow hunt. It's just it's something about it. I don't know if it falls back to that old uh, instincts, you know, hunter gatherer instincts. But um, it was awesome. So yeah, and I think about deer hunting all the time. My wife would tell you nonstop. I scout all year long. I was gonna say that's very much, uh, you know where i'm at as well when it comes to just it's the more and more time goes on um especially when season ends deer season ends there's a small period of time i'm like okay i'm glad deer season's over you know it's kind of a grind you know you're going through you know it's long especially here in the southeast you know down in the southeast a lot of these states have quite long seasons and um it's just you know it's a lot of opportunity but it's like right now you know we're kind of getting to spring by the time turkey season kicks back up I'm like, I'm starting to get interested in whitetails again. I'm like, man, it's it's time to start thinking about it and planning for the future and, and what we're doing. And we're already trying to plan hunts for this fall. And I know, again, that's a big passion of yours, talking about the deer hunting and getting back into it, like you said, you know, 10, 12 years ago and kind of going all in. Uh, but before we kind of get in a little bit more about the story, because I'm getting, I'm curious more about kind of how things have progressed, especially recently for you, you know, as a whitetail hunter, but how long have you been a listener of the podcast and what kind of caused you to start listening to the show? I've been listening to you guys for about two or three years. I think the episodes are the 100s or so. And the reason I did is because I was in public land and, and wasn't very successful. You know, yeah, I could see a dog here, there, you know, but some young bucks, but couldn't get on any decent deer. So I started telling you guys on podcasts and started listening to you and, Picked up some uh, little tidbits here and there on the way, uh, and it started improving, you know, and starting to see better deer and better deer. And then one year I had uh, a real good deer in sight, but I could never seal the deal. I didn't play the scent game as well as I should have, so I knew he was there. Yeah, that's that's about right. So, again, been listening for a couple of years now and kind of have seen the progression with the show and, and everything else that's kind of been put together. But again, you kind of started listening, try, try to find other, 
guess, resources, because again, you were kind of struggling at that time, you know, trying to be successful and everything else. And it just wasn't put, you weren't putting it together at that time. Let me ask what, what has been some of those biggest changes or things that you've kind of taken away from the podcast that you've been able to go out there and implement and just be able to learn more that's helped you be able to put yourself in areas that have better deer, just have more deer to give you more opportunity? Well, um, know that uh, big deer, especially around here over two, three and a half years old or older, are different. <laughs> and you talk about the transition zones, you know, between big timber and, and smaller timber. I've been noticing a little subtle signs. Yeah, I go through the big timber and I, a little subtle sign of some smaller stem count. Um, and I go check it. And I find signs, you know, and then also, uh, you know, that late, you know, and you, you follow the signs, start following the signs, and the signs leads you to more signs, and that leads usually to bedding, then to food sources, and what have you. So that's how I started progressing, you know. I just I had to find something to key on, and then I found that transition zone or transition areas. That's what I started keying on. And then from there, I started building. And let me ask. So when it comes to like your previous knowledge as, as a whitetail hunter from Arkansas, who originally kind of grew up hunting South Arkansas, and you kind of moved around the state and hunting a different region now, what, what, what are some of those bigger takeaways from like maybe your previous knowledge of things that you used to do? And I know you talked about scent, like really not understanding, like, again, like the scent aspect, whether it's like, you know, understanding the wind and everything else. But, you know, what are some of those other things that like you have kind of now realized that you never realized before after hearing different people kind of talk about it or kind of bring it up? They're like, oh, this makes way more sense. And I'm able to see this in the woods. And again, I'm putting it all together. I remember when I was a child or younger man, deer hunting or squirrel hunting, mainly squirrel hunting, that I would see, I would see mature deer places where there were squirrels or um and usually in areas where the cover was thicker you know and it never dawned on me that uh why they were there until just you know just a couple of years ago listening to the uh, podcast picking up uh some stuff is that uh that um they because it had everything the deer wanted it had the food it had the cover you know it had the uh um, different ways that the wind would move scent through there and everything. You know, these are the things that I never learned. And when I was, and I was just stomped through the woods, you know, I wasn't much of a, an outdoorsman back then. And, uh, so now looking back at it in my childhood, I can remember some times where I did see bigger deer and I was, I was in probably most likely that core core area, those those deer were staying and on one thing you know i i used to not pay too much attention to the wind so you know i just go in to the woods a park place and then i just go in but now it's it's usually i check the wind and do that's not right then i will go somewhere else and or make a huge circle and come in with the wind in my face you know just anything i can to give me the advantage yeah, it's like those simple things like that, that a lot of people like now, especially knowing what you know now, you might take it for granted. But back then, it's like you just you never realize that. And maybe some of the people that you hunted with, it just it wasn't like oftenly discussed, uh, especially like when it comes to the wind. I mean, I knew guys actually because I went to school up in Arkansas 
And one of my classmates, uh, Austin Sluderman, he was talking about, I mean, him, him and his dad would kill some big deer up there. Uh, and this is the Northwest Arkansas, but they, they didn't care about the wind at all. And they have like a couple stand sites that they just had, you know, some great locations, great travel quarters, not even, and this is back. I didn't know any of this either back in, you know, back then, but you know, they were located in, in fantastic travel corridors. They could sit there during the rut. And for whatever reason, you know, you know, whether the wind was always consistent that same time of the year, they'd hunt the stand or what, but they just wouldn't really ever get busted a whole bunch. And they just killed some really big deer. And it's like, again, it was like a very simple way of hunting, but they had tremendous success. And it's like, you know, guys like that kind of growing up or, you know, kind of as you kind of live and meet a lot more people. But then once you get a better understanding of like paying attention to those wind currents, paying attention to, you know, once you kind of understand a little bit about thermals and how thermals can play advantage or a disadvantage in certain situations, you start putting a better picture together. And then you're like, oh, wow, like now this makes way more sense of why I can hunt here and then kind of get away with, you know, my scent because the deer can't smell me for whatever the conditions are. Um, or also why these deer are smelling me and blowing at me, um, because there's different things they're, they're keying in on that I'm previously was not paying attention to. Um, and it kind of brings, well, I was gonna say, what, what's your thought on that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, my, my uncle, my cousin and I would just meet hunters. We really didn't care. It'd be, it was nice to have horns, but my cousin was pretty good at knocking some bigger deer down but and then he never taught me really what he was doing <clears throat> but it's just you know travel corridors is what my my uncle hunts he just hunts travel corridors you know so but me being a bow hunter and trying to hunt early season travel corridors don't play so much before the rut you know what i've learned is that getting becoming more successful is hunting Hunting, uh, especially in October, is in between the bedding, between the buck and the doe bedding, and hunting those those subtle travel corridors that the only the bucks use. It's what's really helping me out. Yeah, and again, that's something that you know it's kind of come to play a factor more recently. But again, you kind of think back to you know how like those successful hunters that you grew up around, what they were doing, and it's like yeah, it's like travel corridors is number one. I mean. You know, most people, at least people that I've surrounded myself with and kind of growing up and and even now, like the guys that are like the most successful and, and they're killing more of those deer during the rut, which most of them are, you know, it's just setting up in a, in a, in a travel corridor. And some of those people just learn what to look for. And like, there's deer sign here. This is where I'm hunting. And then others, I mean, like others, like those guys I was talking about from Arkansas that I knew back in school. Yeah, they just it was just a good spot for them to put a ladder stand and they just put a ladder stand there yeah. and they started killing deer and it was just that's that, right it yeah. was just that simple but now i mean i actually went back because I, I knew their property has back when we started very first started to be able to use uh aerial imagery and, and look at stuff on the maps and i went back to look at that property not very long ago and i was like man because i knew where that stand site was i was like man it is in an awesome funnel uh, actually coming yeah. off, they had a 30 acre track right next to some big piece of national forest and, uh, yeah. all those deer would come off that national forest. It was real isolated. You know, you'd have to hike <laughs> three miles back to get to that spot. And, uh, that stand location was, uh, on their 30 acres and they had a huge saddle on this ridge that came through on their property right adjacent to this national forest. And man, they'd kill the crap out of the deer. And it's just like, 
again, they yep. just found a great spot to put a ladder stand, had success. And that's right. You, when I, when you it asked did. them why they yep. were having success, they were they they just like, oh, this is the the does come through chasing or the bucks come through chasing does uh, or looking for yeah, does he, this time he, of the year. And man, we just kill deer there. He, There's nothing else to it. They never, so. they never could tell you the exact reasons, you know. Absolutely, and it's that to me that comes back to like more that woodsmanship. There's plenty of people that can kill deer. But there's not a ton of people that can tell you like exactly what was going like. Why were they sitting in that specific spot uh, that caused them to be able to have success killing that deer, whether it's a specific deer or just a, a deer in general, whether buck doe doesn't matter. And that really kind of comes down to that woodsmanship, which we talked about actually on last week's episode um, with uh, um, uh, Will Johnston from Tennessee. Just again, woodsmanship was something that wasn't ever effective for him growing up as a child and as a kid, you know, kind of up through school. But later on, after kind of hearing, you know, guys that are much more successful than really all of us, you know, being on the podcast and hear about just that woodsmanship and understanding the reasons why when it comes to stand locations and spots to set up, instead of just like randomly picking a spot through the woods, just played so much more of a factor. And once you key on that woodsmanship, man, it, it can it can really change a lot of things for you. Yes, yes, it, 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 it absolutely increases your odds. Absolutely, it increases your odds and also kind of gives you a better understanding of like, okay, why was something happening or why do you think something happened? Um, and to me, that just comes back to like, you know, having more of a curious mind when you're in the woods, you know, coming into deer hunting, there's there's no, um, the, you know, it, it's not always black and white. There's a lot of gray area with deer. Like, you know, every deer, especially bucks have like their own little personality and they all do things that slightly different than the other one before them. And it's like, just trying to learn, you know, with every experience out there, okay, what kind of takeaway from each individual hunt to grow my wisdomship and, and grow my knowledge to then go out there and, and apply it. Um, which, you know, kind of all that being said, I, I'm really curious dad, to kind of talk about what is, you know, some of those guys that maybe you've heard on the show, that have been kind of impactful for you of kind of helping you kind of put stuff together or, or maybe think of things in a different light that's allowed you to be able to, you know, go out there and see more of that success, whether it's just more deer encounters or like you did last year, you know, killing your best buck ever so far. I have to sh- give a shout out to Richard Falk, man. Uh, his, his episode 118, 284, 290, you know, 290 actually helped me kill this eight point this year last year actually uh calling i never did call i was always afraid of calling um and then um hunting where the deer are you know you you know i, I get so ex- tickled when he gets so excited about you know you know he wants to deer you don't want to go out there and just sit in a tree you know you, you do that in your backyard you know um, and then there's a um, i really got a lot out of josh drivers episode 141 core areas you know, there's, you know, when he's talking about the, uh, how there be multiple habitat diversity there, it may be some pines up against some hardwood and then maybe, uh, some briar thicket and usually always some water nearby too, you know, in this, in, in the areas like that, you know, has helped as well, you know, finding those spots. And because a lot of times those, those the Bucks core area is really the, the overlooked spot where everybody drives by. I found that out to be really true. And um, episode 175, you know, 
working scrapes with Troy Pottinger. You know, that, that taught me how to hunt scrapes. I used to hunt right on top of them. I don't hunt scrapes, but right on top of them anymore. Actually, I, I was able to do, to locate a staging area of one buck by backtracking the downwind of the um, of the scrape location. It was like a scrape on the edge of some pines, and it's a it's a community scrape. It's one that they hit all year long. I put a camera on it and got deer on it all year long, and but I backed off of it. Uh, we went, our winds out of the south southwest. Uh, I backed off of it through this open woods and got to an edge where it was thick and I found like 15 trees where he stepped in there and just rubbed them all, you know, over the years. So, and I was used to hunt right on top of it. So he winded me. He knew I was there before I even knew he was there. I never got that deer actually. And then the, recently, um, episode 300 with Clifton Denny. You know, using the top, the topo line, he called it the fat line on the topo. Actually, uh, that is the money right there. He's uh, he's right on the money on that. I like that young man. He's full of energy. There's there's a lot of guys that's kind of played factors and different things you picked up on. Uh, one thing we mm-hmm. talked about this be actually before the um, the uh, episode we started recording, and it was talking about like Josh Driver and some of these guys. Uh, I, I think Josh Driver in particular. And you were talking about scouting and now like what's changed with you, like you're scouting with more of a purpose and, and strategically going into spots that have like that diversity and, and have that kind of uh, compounding features that makes more sense instead of just walking in the yes. woods, just a walk in the woods. Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I got, I got this exciting little story to tell you real quick. Can I? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, like, uh, this year during the youth hunt, I took my granddaughter, Alyssa, with me. She's 12. And, uh, of course, she, I mean, it's a youth hunt, so she has to shoot. And um, we, was, we was traveling was traveling through the open timber, and, you know, and she says, well, you know, why are you, why are you walking so fast? I said, because there's no deer here. We, we got to go where the deer are. So we just kept going, and we, we came into, you know, you know, Greenbrier, right? Oh, of course. Deer love Greenbrier. And, uh, you know, on the edge of the Greenbrier, we found a little scrape. And um, and then uh, I found some droppings. And, you know, we found a little path through the Greenbrier and the tracks. And I got shoulder, I shouldered the, the tracks and stuff. And then, you know, about two or three hundred yards up ahead was a pine thicket on the right. A little, um, some hardwood, pretty open hardwood, only like 50 years wide. And then some thicker stuff to the left of that, so to the to the east. So if you're looking south, so a little strip of hardwood, big timber though, but this strip of hardwood is clean, no no green briar. We had to go through all the green briar, and the uh, and then some little thicker stuff to the left. And I said this is is a good spot because it has all these different terrain features, and um and and I was funny that I hit the grunt call and we walking and I hit the grunt call and we rake the leaves and stuff. And, and we sat down and uh, I tell her, move the leaves, move the leaves. And then we grunt, grunt. Like Richard Fault says, just hit that, that, you know, keep doing that. And, and then we start hearing all this commotion over there in the pines. I'm like, oh, you hear that? And she's, yeah. I said, 
I think we're getting the buck over there. She's a, you know, she's real excited, quiet. She's looking, and we do it some more, and he, you hear him stomping, you know, and then he started making a rub over there. We could never see him, and then it stopped about 30 minutes, and I didn't do any calling, and she was getting impatient, so I said, well, just move on a little bit more, and we moved, and we scrape and make the noise, and I hit that grunt call, grunt call, and we heard it again. I told her, get down, get ready, because he was making some he was pissed off he was about ready to stop that buck but he you know the bucks in his territory he was teed old and then he, he i hit that grunt pot one more time he busted out of that thing i mean just ran out you know more than 40 yards from it since stop and then shoot shoot <laughs> i turned around to look she's running away <laughs> but if it wasn't for listening to those episodes and knowing what to look for and then following the signs, she never would have had that wonderful encounter. So maybe I got another hunter hooked for life. When you think turkey calls, think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configurations. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB Hen, some days I might like the Ghost Cut. Some situations I might like the Country Girl Call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP 24. That's SOP 24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. And that's something that's really kind of cool is because you're able to like you know, work with your granddaughter on some of these hunts. And, and how old is she? She's 12. Okay, so she's she's at the age that you can really kind of start explaining some of this stuff to her. So like, yes. she, like she's okay. actually learning some of those like woodsmanship skills as well, and why you're deer hunting instead of like I, I, that's one thing that I wish more people would do. Uh, I don't have access to any like you know young, younger children to actually like kind of coach and mentor. Um, well, but you work, will in time. Yeah, well, working with people on and working with kids on not just taking them hunting and going sitting in like a shooting house or a ladder stand, which is fine, yes. but explain yes. why are you doing this? You know, of course, yeah, we're yes. trying to shoot a deer, but and we're not trying to say, I'm not trying to say like go into like crazy detail with them all because of the thermals and the wind and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, no, no, but, yeah, but ex- too much. But explaining yeah. what makes this little area more special than anywhere else in mm-hmm. the woods and why we're sitting here. And that curiosity, especially for a child, should really kind of hook them of like, Oh, this is not as this is not just like oh, we're just going to go sit somewhere and, and hope to see one. There, there's more to it, and there's more I can learn because again, children are yes. very, very curious. That's one thing I guess I've never faded out. Of. I'm still curious. So, uh, but the, but that curiosity <laughs> yeah. can really make it fun for the kids as well. Like, hey, there is a reason why we're out here and sitting in this one spot versus anywhere else in the woods. And I, I wish more and more people like like you would kind of you know explain that a little bit for them because again, I think you can really well, hook them. Well, you know, now that she's had a a a a very exciting point in her life, you know how things will stick in your mind when something exciting happens. You can recall it forevermore. You know, now she knows. She knows grunting works. 
She knows making some noise work. She knows following the sign. And I explained it all to her why we were stopping where we were running because I told her in on pine tree there is a buck. I guarantee it there's a buck in there because everything else is saying this is the right spot, you know. And now she had an encounter and it's embedded into her head. So hopefully next year, you know, as I build upon her her knowledge, teacher sitting up blind. I, I use a saddle. I, I saddle hunt. I don't. I, I don't sit in tree stands. Uh, uh, if I, you know, I, I like being mobile. A lot of times, I won't even use my saddle. I just find me something to hunker down to, to get behind or whatever. And so, so yeah, I'm teaching her how to be an outdoorsman. Yeah, not just. I, I think that's one thing I, I see with a lot of people is like just they want to get their kids the first uh, their first deer and just shoot a deer, which is fine. Was like there's so much that can be taught instead of like oh we're just every time I go hunting I'm I'm going to shoot a deer, well no we're actively act, we're actively hunting them and like you said and becoming a better outdoorsman and it, just explain that stuff to them that's all it takes it's just kind of explaining why you're doing stuff and, and why you're you know taking them to different locations and, and what you're looking for explain the sign explain you know hey if we're hunting in the rut kind of you know what we're looking for we're trying to find the does and the bucks are going to be coming through just explain those subtle things to them that can really help get them hooked of like especially you kind of talk them through some of that stuff and then they go out there and actually shoot a deer and then they know why exactly kind of why they were there why the deer was coming through there especially if you're talking during the rut and and them killing mm-hmm. one that just again it just kind of paints that full picture for them which is awesome uh but that i, yes. I, I want to kind of trans transition over a little bit to that deer that you killed this past year um and maybe talk a little some progression up to that hunt so th- this past year you killed a really 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 nice deer up in arkansas uh that of Thank course you. you know listeners will be able to kind of see some of that on social media when this episode is up but talk us through you know this past season and kind of what led up to that hunt with that deer this deer is really handy because i live right on the edge of uh of core engineer land and uh, so I'm out to scout a lot. Uh, I've been encountering a, a decent deer back there over the last eight years I've been living here, but I haven't really nailed one down. Um, so I get to do a lot of scouting back here, you know, during the week, on the weekend, walk, and I go look around. But last year, we didn't have a very good acorn crop, but side the south side of this uh, ridge was a uh, you know it, it, it opens a, it, it's a little ridge and it goes dumps down into the bottoms and it's just wide from bottoms i've been i know during the early season uh, i was didn't see much signs uh, of any buck not very many buck not very few rubs this year i didn't see very many rubs this year it was just a few rubs just mainly on the southern side of this ridge in the southern side of this little oak ridge where and just and being back there and scouting i knew the area pretty well where some does bedded on its to, to the east and i knew some does bedded on a point toward the west and so i figured uh <clears throat> and i found a scrape I put a camera on the scrape and I got a nice picture of the deer. Big, big nine, beautiful buck. Big nine, double, double throat patch, just tall tines, 
but it was a nine point. It's not the one I got. It was the nine point. It's beautiful deer, most beautiful deer I've ever seen in my life. And uh, so, you know, so I started hunting it real hard because I've seen this beautiful deer back there. And, and it just, I was always getting down just a little bit too early, you know. And uh, so I think I, he, he busted me a couple of times. So I got frustrated with it, and I, uh, I had to figure out where he was bedding. So I started doing some more scouting. I couldn't really find his particular bed, but I found what I thought was a buck bed. It wasn't too far from this little oak ridge. And, and from where this buck was bedding or this deer was bedding, there was no rubs there. It was just his back was against a down, a down tree, you know. He had some had some cover to the to the west of him that he can jump in and get behind pretty quick. And from where his vantage point, any thermals coming off the hill in the in the evening, he could smell anything. Uh, any thermals coming up the hill, he could smell, and he could see forever. He could see any direction. You can't sneak up on him. So I figured I found this spot. So I figured that was that nine points bed and and so i just got in between his bed what i thought was his bed and the doe bedding just south of the ridge line along the fat line it's not a very big ridge and i knew the wind wasn't going to work out for me that day but if it continued the direction it was going he have his wind and uh if if he got close enough to smell me he was dead because because the way the wind was working that day, it's straight north, basically a straight north wind, and uh, it was going to carry my scent right down across this what I thought was a was a deer trail. It wasn't not much of a trail, you know. Bucks don't leave much of a trail, but you can kind of see it somewhat. And you know, there there may be something there. It's usually um, a rub there every now and again. You see a rub, but it won't be like a whole lot of rubs, you know not this deer he didn't do that and um <clears throat> so no that's how i hunted him and then it worked out one day he came in that day a perfect wind but he came in right at the last light and i thought it was at nine point he came down oh i got so excited about fell out of the tree i was so excited <laughs> and made a shot he ran off and crashed about the 30 40 yards away and that was it <laughs> so it's just a lot of scouting you know a lot of observations pay, putting two together i knew i knew where the does were hanging out and so i figured you know he's he's going to come through here went scent checking his feeding area heading to the doe bedding so you know it just it worked out for me so again, like a lot of guys that just have that passion for scouting or some of those ones that are most successful, and that definitely seems like something that, that you do and something that you have a passion for is spending a lot of time in the woods, go scouting, put some time in, and it's starting to kind of play off or pay off for you. And something that seems like definitely you're probably going to be building upon, if I had to guess, going into this coming season as well. Um, so let, let, what, what, I mean, what's your kind of take on that? Like, Where did your kind of, again, passion for scouting really happen uh, that's kind of been playing a part for you? The uh, my part of your passion of scouting is really because I I just like being out there. I like being out in the woods. 
and I like being able to figure things out, you know, kind of like reading a book when you, you know, you, 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 you see all the clues of, of, you know, you just put the clues together and, and come to the conclusion of your story. That's how I do scouting. I just, I, sometimes I'm, there was one guy you guys had on there. There was, I can't remember his name, but he said he would rather scout. He, he loves scouting more than he actually loves hunting. And I'm, I'm about in that same position. I really, I could kill more deer, but I don't. And I, I just, I'm really picky, I guess. I probably shouldn't be, but I just, I just love scout. I just love being out there and seeing their signs and figuring them out. It's kind of like a, kind of like a puzzle for me. Yeah, it is. And it's like, it's that, that puzzle, like when you put it together, it, it's so rewarding. Um, yes. And it's something that you can build upon year after year, especially if it's an area that you're going to continue to hunt. Like, again, you can put time in yes. scouting and it's yes. still something that's going to pay off. Maybe it doesn't pay off, you know, the year you do it, but now you understand, you know, at least how deer are using certain areas and you can kind of build upon it as you go out yes. and cover more and more ground. Yes. I'd like to take that, for example, just I found another spot. Um for next year that's going to be dynamite i just know it's there's two fields and there's a pinch point right in between them there's lots of deer travel through there and there's a scrape there and i found some big big tracks after the season i found big tracks after the season so the big boy still lives i'm going to put a camera in there and i'm going to use some of those uh, mock scrape tactics and put a camera on that scrape and see if i can get him in june july maybe june july you should he should be in, in, you know, in velvet and starting to develop something. You can tell if he's going to be nice or not. Yeah. And see, it's, it's like stuff like that. It's like putting stuff together all the time. You know, we've had guys on the podcast that I will say this after doing the podcast for over four years now, like you see different people's perspectives. Some guys or have the perspective of, Hey, I'm going to scout. 365 days out of the year or what i mean by that is like they don't have a quote-unquote scouting season they're they're scouting during season they're scouting yeah. post-season they're yeah. scouting pre-season yeah. they're doing it all then you have guys uh-huh. that do a ton of scouting post-season exclusively and they use that knowledge post-season to kind of figure out where they want to go during season and then you have the guys that do a lot of summer scouting exact same thing do a lot of yeah. summer scouting going into the fall and then you have guys like a guy we uh, actually just recorded episode with it'll come out later this summer who does exclusively in-season scouting only and has tremendous success early season using that knowledge where the season comes in, he doesn't scout a day before season comes in. Second season comes in early bow season. He's out there looking for where these bucks are spending their time. And once he finds that sign, he goes in there and executes and, and, you know, tries to get an opportunity at him. That makes sense. You know, the the less you in there disturbing things, the more likely the deer will continue to being deer. That absolutely, and but also just the aspect like, you know, depending on when your season comes in, a lot of things can change. Especially if you're out there in the mm-hmm. summertime, like yeah, you can locate some deer in the summer, but you know, there's a chance depending on when your season opens, they might not be in that area come bow season. Mm-hmm. Which it gives That's you right. an idea of what's in the area, but doesn't always give you an idea of where you need to start when it comes to you know season opening up. But you yeah. know, everybody has their different takes on it. But again, there's so many different ways to be successful deer hunting. But scouting plays a huge part. Again, there, there's nobody I really have ever interviewed on the podcast that scouting wasn't a factor for them when it came to hunting. Uh, even the guys that, again, doing it in season, they're trying to find that sign with a stain mm-hmm. on their back or 
you know, with their bow in their hand, they're trying to walk around it and try to cover that ground, find that right sign, and then go in there and hunt it. But again, scouting is a huge tool, and definitely that's something that you know everybody needs to be paying attention to. Which everybody already knows that, but again, it's like preaching to the choir. It's like once you, you do know, it, you start to see that man, it really is rewarding when you start putting it together. You know, it's it's also the fact, Jacob, that it takes a lot of your time. And you know, I got a a honey list, a do a honey to do list. It's pretty darn long, so I have to manage my time. You know, I can't. That's why I hunt pretty close to my house. Five, ten minutes, I'm at the place I want to scout. You know, I don't have to drive two or three hours to go there. So, you know, I'm blessed that way. I got, I am completely surrounded by probably some of the best hunting in Arkansas. I mean, I pretty much, I, pretty, I mean, I got National Forest to the south of me, um, Corps Engineer land to the west of me, you know, National Forest to the north of me. And lots of other hunting lands around me, and so I'm blessed there. Where I can in 15 between 30 minutes, I can be anywhere in different spots to hunt. So I get a chance to do a lot of scouting. But you know, during the summer, you, you got to deal with bugs and stuff and all that crap, and uh, it, it just doesn't stop me. But some people, you know, you know, they get busy, especially during the summer vacation stuff. They don't have time to go scouting. Absolutely. And then you also, depending on whether you get kids, you get some young kids that are out of school. Yeah. You get kids. Yeah, vacations. You get, yeah, you get yeah. vacations. You get them at the house, the whole nine yards. You know, there's there's a lot of factors for sure that go into it. But, you know, Thad, to kind of get to a point of uh, coming to a conclusion on this episode, mm-hmm. what are some of those things that you feel like that you've built upon, especially after this last season, that you're going to build upon coming this season? Like you already mentioned you found an area that's going to be dynamite where you think you can get mm-hmm. on like really good deer. You know, what are some of those other things that you kind of were takeaways from this past season that you're just going to, again, to continue to build on for this season? Well, um, some of the things is locating bee trees, you know, uh, not necessarily um, hunting on top of the bee trees like Richard thought. I just, my scent control ain't, ain't as good as it is, but backing off of their feeding bee trees and, you know, um, some things like that. And, uh, Hunting um, topple lines that's, you know, the that little fat line on some of these hills and stuff. And, um, you know, just going in early season, you know, pre-season before, you know, September, you know, trying to find the deer and then trying to find what kind of signs they're leaving, you know, especially early October. I mean, late season, right, right before the season opens, they shed a velvet pretty much. The week before our season opens, a lot of deer are already hard horned. So you can go out there early, you know, right before season and start finding some signs. Um, even though it may not tell you a lot, but it at least tells you that their deer are there. So, you know, just building upon that, usually, you know, that's, you know, just kind of build on what I know. Just go a little deeper, learn a little bit more, you know, ask a little bit more questions why. Why is this sign here? Why is that rub there? Why why are they eating here? And what are they eating? That's something, too, I've started paying attention to a lot more lately. It's what are they eating? They eat a lot of stuff. I mean, you'd be amazed at how much stuff you walk by that they're browsing on and that most people don't pay attention to. Those are the things that I'm building upon to make me a better deer hunter because last year we didn't have a great acorn crop. I had a really fine other points of food sources to hunt near because we just didn't have any acorns. 
And, and that's it, it kind of comes back to the aspect of being, again, a well-rounded woodsman. Because there's certain situations, like you said, you know, acorn crop's not super hot. Yeah, you can, it, it seems like you can, if you put enough boot leather on the ground, you can find that one, you know, oak that's dropping. But yeah, if but you, good if you, luck on that. Absolutely. But if you understand, you know, again, kind of coming from that woodsmanship aspect of different food sources, like you're talking about Greenbrier, you know, Greenbrier here in Alabama, late season, if you're in an area that there's not a lot of water oaks and there's not really much red oaks left on the ground, they're going to be eating a ton of Greenbrier and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that, trying to figure out where are those major food sources these deer are going to be going to and be able to target that. So like you said, that kind of comes back down to that woodsmanship, which you you know, you're really kind of keying in on and, and playing a big part of, you know, what you're building upon, not only for yourself, but even for your family, like you said, with your granddaughter and, and trying mm-hmm. to teach that because that's something, again, it's definitely, you know, it, it's finally, it's coming back. There's definitely a big movement. It seems of like that woodsmanship coming back and sharing that with uh, younger generations and everybody kind of learning what it takes to be a good woodsman, which I'm super excited about, but definitely a lot more can be done with that. And, Definitely, you're on the right path with your family, kind of sharing that with, you know, again, like your granddaughter and everybody else, putting that all together. But uh, Thad, I also want to say this, that, you know, I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on here and kind of talking about this. And it's been interesting to kind of get your take, you know, from your experience of how things have changed throughout the years and you kind of getting back into deer hunting, like you said, you know, 10 to 12 years ago. And, you know, like you told me earlier, you know, you killed you killed your your best buck ever this past year, but it's not going to be your biggest buck ever because you're going to try to go out and, and continue to kind of up that bar with more and more mm-hmm. knowledge that you've learned and try to become more and more effective. So I'm super excited to kind of see, especially how 2022 and 2023 plays for you. Um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be, uh, if I get a big one, I'll share it with you. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, that is there anything else you wanted to mention or discuss before we kind of, again, kind of close out for today? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I really want to thank you guys. Um, you, you given, I'm an old man, I'm not old, old, I'm 48. So, you know, by teaching, by, by listening to you guys, you know, it's creating, um, a level of expertise that I could put to better you, you know, my time is better served because I'm not wasting a whole lot of time out there in the woods. I'm going to specific, specific spots, catching those spots, looking at those places because I've listened to you guys. You guys have helped me tremendously being a better hunter. And I, I'm sure you're affecting the generations to come. So keep up the good work. Um, by the way, shout out to my brother, Dwayne. We listen to you guys three hours every day. <laughs> awesome, Dwayne. Yeah, man. We appreciate guys like that, too. You're, yeah. you're spending that much time listening to the podcast. We greatly appreciate those guys. Yeah, he, he's got he's got uh, an hour and a half commute both ways to work, and uh, he listens to you every day religiously. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, listen, uh, Dad, we appreciate you and you know support like you and your brother and all the other listeners that listen to the show. Uh, again, y'all have been fantastic. And this is what we do it for. You know, we, we do it for the aspect of, you know, we want to see more listener success stories. We want to see people like yourself that have success from different things that these guests have talked about or talk about in the future, because that shows us that we're producing something that truly is impacting people. Um, yes, you know, you are. There, there's a bunch of different content out there from just 
true entertainment to more kind of that learning. And we definitely want to be a mix of both, but you know, teaching people or, you know, not me teaching, I'm not teaching anybody anything. I'm just, I'm just here just trying to open conversations up for people and have these <laughs> yeah. guests talk yeah. about, but be able to, the show help teach people, you know, different things to go out there and be successful to me, not only is going to bring more people into the hunting realm, but keep more people in it. Because if you're having success, you're going to keep on doing it. And again, just like you and your family, you know, teaching your granddaughter different things, you know, that's doing a great thing for all of us uh, to make sure that we have a, a well-rounded community of woodsmen uh, and outdoorsmen coming into the future. Yeah, yeah, we, we need it. We need it. Because, you know, there's 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 some fellows out there who who aren't that great, of, I'm going to say, outdoorsmen. And it's... It's, it does look bad on us who who wants to be better hunters, you know. It's it's an image thing that we got to maintain, you know. Unfortunately, but I think uh, just teaching the newest generation the correct my idea of the correct way of of taking game, you know, maybe just a little bit more to help keep this uh, industry going. Absolutely. Well, Thad, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Mm -hmm. We appreciate all you other guests um, who've come on the show and just kind of sharing everybody's thoughts and perspectives and appreciate all the listeners out there as well. Uh, listening to the show, share it with your buddy. And like we say every single week, you know, share the podcast with your buddy. If you enjoy the podcast and you're getting something out of the podcast and you enjoy it, you know, go leave us a review, especially if you listen on iTunes or Apple podcast, it greatly helps the show. Uh, or if you listen on Spotify, you can leave us a five-star review there as well. But appreciate everybody's support. And like we say every single week, guys, y'all stay Southern. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is gonna be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're gonna be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are gonna be there. There's gonna be seminars, all of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.